Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Habakkuk. Good luck finding it. Habakkuk. You'd be better off to start in the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, and then just thumb backwards through Malachi and Zechariah and Haggai and Zephaniah, I think, and then back to Habakkuk. Uh, welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're worshiping with us today. Welcome to all of you in, in the overflow. It's going to be a great day, a very, very good day of worship. I'm excited for what God is going to do here uh, all the way through until tonight. Tonight is Eric Walker's ordination service, and we're excited uh, about what will happen in, in Pastor Eric's life tonight. So don't forget to be here. Understand, Pastor Eric has a lot of family coming. They're going to be here at 11 o'clock, and I just want to prepare you all. Let's get it out of our system now. Pastor Eric's family calls him Ricky. They call him Ricky. So we're going to laugh about that now because I think that's just kind of really funny. He doesn't look like a Ricky to me. Uh, we'll laugh about it, get out of our system so when his mama calls him Ricky, we can all keep a straight a straight face. Can't wait to meet Eric's mom and dad. They'll be here at 11 and then uh, uh, again tonight. If also you're looking for something to lift your spirits, if you're on Facebook, you must go to the Woodburn Baptist Church youth page and look at the video from the youth leaders at camp. I haven't heard anybody say anything about this yet, but you've got to go see this and you've got to watch the whole thing. It's kind of a joke. It's like what the youth leaders do while the kids are away and you'll see the youth leaders going through all the kids' stuff and wearing the kids' clothes. It's a lot of fun. But watch it all the way to the end because at the end, uh, Tim Robinson does a table dance <laughs> that will change your life. It, it is an amazing, horrifying kind of thing. Uh, so do not miss it. If, if you can't get on Facebook, is Tim here? If, if people can't get on Facebook, will there be any private shows in the vestibule? Or... Tim, that's something. Do y'all act like that in Mississippi? It, it's, it's, some, it's something I've never seen. But Kathy, I'm beginning to see what you see in him when I see his moves like that. The book is called Habakkuk. It's a Hebrew word. It's, a, it's an ugly sounding, ugly looking kind of word. All of those K's, A's and, and B's. What do you think it means? A word like that, Habakkuk. It, it sounds like something you roll up in smoke, but it's nothing like that at all. Habakkuk, what do you think that word means? Habakkuk. It's a Hebrew word that means to hug. It means to hug. So everybody stand up. Stand up, stand up, let's try it out. I want you to squeeze somebody till their eyes pop out right now. Squeeze them hard. And take your seats. <laughs> Habakkuk means to embrace. It, it, it does mean to hug. But in all honesty, this is not in any way, shape, or form a warm and fuzzy book. Uh, this is not a warm and fuzzy uh, passage of Scripture. It's a very, very short book in the Bible. You can read the whole thing in one sitting. Um, but it is not necessarily pleasant, although it ends with one of the most triumphant words uh, that you'll find in Scripture. Habakkuk means to embrace. It, it means to hug, to embrace. And honestly, in the book of Habakkuk, what the man of God must learn to embrace are all of the horrible things in life, all of the horrible circumstances in his life that are never going to change. Now, that's a hard word for us. It's a hard lesson to learn. But what Habakkuk has to learn to embrace are all of the things in his life that are not going to change. 
it's a good word for all of us who find ourselves in circumstances that cause us to question God's presence and God's power and God's goodness. Uh, so I'm just going to, we're going to pick up the beginning and the ending of the book of Habakkuk. Begin with me, chapter 1, verse 1. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. He must work where you work. Verse 4, the law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. The book begins with, Haggai, with Habakkuk's questions, but notice it, you won't find it on the screens. But the Lord replies and he says to Habakkuk, he says, look around you, look and be amazed. I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. God begins to respond. But God's response to Habakkuk is not the word that Habakkuk wanted to hear. God does not come to say things are going to get better. God comes to tell Habakkuk that things are going to get much worse. And turn with me now to the very end of the book, chapter 3, verse 17. These are the final words of the prophet Habakkuk, and this is what he says. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Wow. Little boy was helping his dad one day. They were getting a fish. They, they went down to Walmart. They bought one of those fish, brought it home in a bag. The little boy was full of questions. You know how kids are full of questions. They started putting the fish in the bowl of water at home, and the little boy said, Daddy, how come our fish has such big eyes? Dad said, I don't know. I, I don't know why our fish has such big eyes. They're putting the fish in the water, and the little boy says, Daddy, how come our goldfish has spots? Why does it have spots? I don't know, son. I don't know why our fish has spots. Fish goes in the water. The little boy says, Daddy, how come fish don't fall down in water? And the, and the dad says, I don't even know what that means. I don't know, son, why fish don't fall down in water. Does our fish have a name? Does he think, does he have a family like Nemo? I, I don't know, son. I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. How, how does the fish breathe underwater, Daddy? I, 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 don't, I don't know, son. Finally, the kid said, Daddy, do you ever get tired of me asking all these questions? Father said, no, son, how will you ever learn anything if you don't ask questions? How will you ever learn anything if, if you don't ask questions? My goodness, some of you have been parents like that. I know I was a, a parent like that. The kid asked question after question after question, and, and you just have no answers. But the difficult thing is in our lives when we reach the point where we feel like God is a father like that. We have questions. We have question after question after question. And at certain times in our lives, these questions become urgent. These questions become heartbreaking, shatteringly 
urgent. And yet it seems like God is there with no answers. And that is a frustrating place to be. And some of you are living there right now, I know. You, you have questions. But God doesn't seem to be offering any answers. This is how we meet the prophet Habakkuk. He, he, he's different. He has a vision, it says, a revelation from God. But honestly, when he starts preaching, when, when Habakkuk starts prophesying, the only thing that pours out are, are questions. And they're the difficult questions, the hard questions. Some of these are the questions you have asked. Habakkuk cries out to God, how long? How long, O Lord, must I call for help? Have you ever asked that question? It's the most basic prayer in the world, the simple word, help. And I must pray that prayer a thousand times a day, I do. I simply say, God, help me, help me, God, help me, God. And Habakkuk is in this pattern in his own life because his life, his whole world is crashing down around his ears and he continues to say, Lord, help me, God, help me, help us, do something. And then finally he says, God, how long have I got to ask you to help and you don't show up? I continue to ask for help, but I don't feel like you're listening to me. How long? And I know you've asked that question. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you don't come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Everywhere I look, he says, destruction and violence. The world is going to hell, he says, and I don't understand it. Everywhere I look, things are horrible. God, don't you see? God, don't you care? How long are we going to ask you for help? And and you don't do anything. I'm surrounded by people. People who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There is no justice in the courts. The wicked people far outnumber the righteous people. God, where are you? Why are things as they are? His questions simply pour out. Have you ever been in that spot in your own life? You ever been in that place when all you've got are questions? But it doesn't seem like God has any answers. Honestly, our suffering always raises questions for us. I don't know exactly why suffering always comes as such a shock to us in our own personal lives. But the Bible makes it very, very clear that, that suffering is a, a part of our lives. And, and even though sometimes we have questions that seem to have no answers, honestly, in some ways there are answers. Some of our suffering is explainable. We don't always like the answers, but I'm telling you, some of our questions do have have answers and sometimes our trials our troubles our hardships also are explainable uh, write this down honestly in scripture there are three kinds of suffering there are three ways that you can find yourself in a hard place and, and these are explainable the first from john chapter 16 this is scripture that frank read earlier with the children read these words with me Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Do you see that? Are there any words in that statement too difficult to understand? Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. I would call this common suffering. 
common suffering. Everybody suffers. Everybody has trouble. Everybody has problems. And here on earth, you will have problems. You will suffer. You will catch the stomach virus. You not understand that? You might get the swine flu. I'm telling you, these things just happen. They go around. They happen to all of us. We get sick. We lose our our jobs. These things are common to everybody. So when they happen to you, you must not freak out like something new is happening in the world. People suffer. They've always suffered and they will continue to suffer. Jesus says here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You will have trouble. We will, as a church, as a, as, as a community of neighbors, we will make many trips to the cemetery and the funeral home. We will make many trips to the hospital. We will suffer. We will uh, endure many, many kinds of pain. But we must understand, in a lot of instances, this is just common. Don't be surprised. Don't act like something strange is happening. Much of the suffering in the world is, is common. It's common. Second kind of suffering, though, that Scripture talks about is what I would call consequential. There's consequential suffering, and this is different. You'll find it in the book of Galatians in Paul's words. Read these words with me. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant because you cannot mock the justice of God. Uh, amazingly, the world is much less random than you think. Uh, amazingly, the world is created in such a way where in most instances, people get what's coming to them. And sometimes our suffering, sometimes our problems are very easily explained. We've done it to ourselves. We do these things to ourselves. Now, there is common suffering. Lots of people get cancer. But if you smoke all your life from the time you're 16 until the time that you're 80 and you end up with emphysema or lung cancer, listen, I can explain this to you. This is not a mystery. Much of our suffering is suffering that we bring on ourselves. It's the consequences of our choices, consequences of our own actions. Much of what happens to us may be common, but other times it's consequential. We get in trouble because we are doofuses. We get in trouble because we are sinners and we bring it on ourselves. And the scripture says, just count on it. You cannot mock the justice of God. What you plant, one day you're going to harvest. It's going to come back to you. It's amazing, though, how we never seem to expect this, how we expect to sow and plant whatever we want to when we're young and then pray for a bad harvest when we're old. It doesn't work that way. You're going to get pretty much what you plant. This is true in every single part of your life. It's certainly true in your married life. I have a feeling that the marriage you have right now is probably the marriage you deserve. It's probably the marriage that you've worked to to, to maintain. I'm telling you, you tend to get out of a marriage what you put into it. If you're one of those men who would rather spend all of his time out in the garage or in the shop or out in the tractor, if you were one of those men who finds it easier to stay out on the tractor rather than come back in the house and have a conversation with your wife, you probably have the marriage you deserve. Don't be surprised by it. If you're one of those wives who will not take the time to to listen to her husband, one of those wives that only thinks about herself, if you're one of those women and all you can do is nag and complain, I'm telling you, you probably have the man you deserve. Lots of our situations we create for ourselves. It's the same way with parenting, same way in our spiritual lives. 
In my old days as a youth minister, I used to get so frustrated because I would see teenagers turn 16 years old and at about 16, they disappear from youth group. They disappear from church in many cases. God bless our teenagers who are so faithful. But in many cases, you'll see teenagers at 16 drop out and many times they drop out with their parents' blessing. I've had parents say to me, listen, I know church is important, but I want my son to learn how to work. And if he's going to have a car and insurance, he's got to work. Oh, really? I've got our priorities straight there, don't we, Dad? Want my son to know how to work. The, 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 the thing is, give it two or three years, that son will be in, in, in a world of trouble, and that same father would come back to me and say, I don't understand, Brother Tim, what went wrong. We raised him in church. You did? You think you did? No, you taught your son that working and having money and cars is more important than church. If your son goes off the rails spiritually, Dad, that's your fault. Dad, that's your fault. Don't say you raised them in church when Sunday after Sunday I'm here and they're not. Do you understand what I'm saying? Much of our suffering is, is, is consequential suffering. You really do reap what you sow. You're not going to cheat God in these matters. You're going to get out of your life much of what you put into it. So our suffering in many, many cases, not always, but in many cases, it's consequential. We, we reap what we sow. One more kind of suffering. It's in Scripture. It's plain. We never read these verses. But the third kind of suffering is what I would call Christian suffering. It's Christian suffering. Again, from words of Paul, 2 Timothy. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Sometimes, as a believer, if you are trying to live a godly life... You're going to suffer for it. Sometimes in high school, when you make a stand for Christ, when you make a stand for doing right, you're going to suffer for it. Other kids will make fun of you. They are losers, but they will make you feel like you are the loser. That's what the scriptures say. Everyone who tries to live a godly life is going to suffer persecution. So, so understand, some of the suffering in our lives we can't explain. Some of it is common suffering. Much of it is consequential suffering. Some of it, unfortunately, is Christian suffering. We suffer simply for the name of Christ. But there's so much left over. Honestly, in my life sometimes, there are problems, there are situations, situations we face as a church, and, and I don't know which of those categories it falls into. I still have questions. There seems to be this overabundance of suffering in the world, sometimes in our lives. You see, this is where Habakkuk is. God may understand how to categorize all of the suffering in the world, but we usually can't. So Habakkuk does an amazing thing, a bold thing, really. He takes his questions to God. Habakkuk is willing to ask questions that many of us simply won't ask. These are the kinds of questions that if you say it out loud, somebody say, listen, don't you say that. Don't you ask that. Don't you talk to God that way. You ever driven through Logan County and you see that house with the windows all painted up? You seen it? Because one night they say there was a girl who stood in the window and her date didn't show up. And what did she do? She said something ugly to God. And God struck her with lightning. Kaboom! And now they say her ghost stands in the window. Yeah. Logan County ain't got nothing to do but make stuff like that up. <laughs> nothing to do but make it up. Yeah. 
But that's how we teach one another. Isn't it? You, don't, you don't speak in an ugly way to God. You, you don't take your complaints to God. Don't you dare complain to God. Habakkuk complains to God. I'm telling you, if all you've got are questions, and I'm telling you, take your questions to God. That's the best place to take them. You at least keep the conversation going. And if all you have are complaints, and if all that you have are, are questions, if all that you have are cries, I'm telling you, take them to God just the same. He is a great big God. He's not going to be intimidated or frightened by your itty-bitty questions. I promise you, just take them to God. That's what Habakkuk does. He takes his questions to God. But does he get answers? Let's just be real honest. We have lots and lots of questions in our lives. You have lots of questions right now pertaining to your life, your health, the way things have turned out, your marriage, your children, your job, your church. We have lots and lots of questions. And some of these questions are so very, very painful. Are there answers for our questions? I tell you, I don't know. I don't know if there are always answers. I'll be that honest. I just don't know. I think sometimes there are, but sometimes there may not be. But let me tell you something very important. Even if there were answers for all of your questions, I'm not sure they would help. I'm not sure the answers would help. Have you ever asked a question from the very bottom of your heart? I have. I'll be real. I've asked God, why is it that teenage girls can have sex for the first time out of wedlock on the prom night and get pregnant? My wife and I have seven miscarriages in a row. God, why is that? I ask questions like that. Do you ever ask those questions? God, I understand that there's all kinds of suffering in the world, but why does my loved one have to die? Why do I have to have cancer? Have you ever asked those kinds of questions? They come from a very anguishing, broken-hearted place. Where are the answers? I, I just want to be honest with you. I'm not sure there are answers, but even if there were answers, I don't think they'd help. I don't think they would help. Because those questions come from a very painful place, an honest place, a broken-hearted place. And those answers will always come from some sort of logical place. And a logical answer to an emotional question does not help the pain. It doesn't help the pain. Because look at Habakkuk. He asks these questions. He takes the questions straight to God. And honestly, God answers him. God says, well, I'll explain it to you, Habakkuk. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you everything that's about to happen. And when it's over, it all just got worse. Because what God says to Habakkuk is not what he wanted to hear. Not the kind of answers that he expected. Not the answers that would remove all of his questions and comfort him in all of his pain. The answers don't help. There's got to be something else. There must be something more that we need in our lives so that we can somehow take the questions to the God who has the answers and somehow live our lives with some sort of peace. We need something else. And I'm not sure it's answers to our questions. You want to know what it is? It's what Habakkuk finds. It's called faith. Habakkuk says, okay, God, I'm going to go up to a high tower. I'm going to go up to a high tower. I'm going to go up to the highest place. And I'm just going to watch. I'm going to watch. I'm just going to try to see. 
I want to get in the highest place I can get. I want to get some sort of perspective. And I'm going to watch it. And I want to see what I can see. I want to see if I can see things from your perspective, God. And you know what Habakkuk sees? You know what he learns? He learns that the the righteous, those in a relationship with God, they live their lives by faith. The righteous will live by faith. That's what Habakkuk says. Habakkuk does not learn that the righteous will get all of their questions answered and and they live with this kind of utter certainty. That's not what he says. He says the righteous, those who truly know God and live in a right relationship with him, they will live their lives by faith. 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 I'll tell you something. You will experience suffering. And suffering is going to color your life. But by faith, listen to me, you get to choose the color. Suffering will, will definitely color your life. But by faith, you get to choose the color. You, you do. T- true story. Uh, there is a pastor who had a man in his congregation who was absolutely crippled with pain and depression, chronic pain, debilitating depression. This man was homebound. He lived in the darkness of his house with all of the curtains pulled all of the time. The man was in the deepest, deepest place of depression. And it had been this way for years. And the man lived with such chronic pain, pain that was never going to get any better, honestly. It was never going to get any better. He lived with pain. He lived in depression. And he had nobody. So one day he called the pastor and asked the pastor if the pastor would be willing to take him to an out-of-town hospital, an out-of-town doctor for a visit. The pastor said, of course, I'll do that for you if you would be willing to allow me to make some other visits. I've got other visits I can make in that hospital. Would you be willing just to sit in the car and and wait for me while I do my business and then I'll take you to your doctor's visit? And the man said, of course, sure, whatever, that will be fine. So the pastor pulled up that day. The man came out of his house, could barely walk. The man looked like an unmade bed. And he came out and he got in the car and he sat with his eyes closed. And they drove in silence. The man was in such pain, such depression. Got to the hospital. An amazing thing happened. When the pastor got out to make his visits and the man was supposed to sit in the car, that man got out. He got out of the car and walked with the pastor. So, so fair enough that the man starts going with the pastor and, and making visits. And the pastor noticed it as they began to go from, from room to room, from person to person. That man started walking straighter. He walked straighter. And before long, in the room with other people who, who were sick, this man would start visiting and talking. I'm telling you, this man hadn't talked and visited like that in years. But he would talk. And the pastor noticed he had a real gift for it. He could talk to people in a beautiful way. And he did. He became a brand new person. And that day, in that hospital, he went from room to room. And he began praying with people. And he walked straight and he talked in a friendly way. They had lunch in the cafeteria. This man had a tremendous day. On the way home, the pastor said, Brother, I I just got to say, I can't help noticing. It seems like you have had a wonderful day. The man said, Pastor, you're right. This has been the best day I've had in years. I haven't even thought about my pain. I haven't thought about my problems. I don't even think I felt depressed today. It's been a wonderful day. Pastor said, well, then, brother, I think we figured out how to help you. I think we figured out how to help you. You need to have more days like this. The man said, pastor, 
you don't really expect me to get out like this every day. No, doofus, go home and die. Go home and be depressed. Go home and think about your pain. Don't you understand? That man had choices to make. He was going to suffer. He was going to have pain. He was going to have to fight depression every day of his life. He was going to have his life colored by suffering. But he did have some choices. He could choose the color. But he chose the darkest color. He chose his suffering. He chose his depression. He chose to live in that dark black hole of pain and suffering. Don't you understand? Sometimes you do the very same thing. You cannot change your situation. You must accept the suffering that's come upon you. Obviously, God could intervene, but sometimes God doesn't. And we simply have to accept our circumstances. But we do have some choices as to how we respond, how we live our lives. You must not give up. You must not surrender. You must not let the darkness win in your life. Suffering will color your life, but by faith, you get to choose the color. And by your walk in the Lord and by the strength of Christ, you have some very important choices to make about how your journey goes. The things that you are able to wrestle even from the grip of the suffering. By faith, you get to choose how suffering affects your life. The righteous will live by faith, Habakkuk says. Because faith has this ability to anchor our lives in the things we can't see. You know what the scripture says, the definition of faith. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. It's, it's, it's the condition of things not seen. Faith anchors our lives in things we can't see. And that's very, very important because most of the time what we see, we don't understand. Most of the time, the circumstances we live in are not circumstances that make us feel like praising God. Most of the time, what we see, what we experience in the flesh, in the physical world, these are not things that add to our happiness and and our peace. But faith changes the way we live our lives because it connects our soul. It anchors our heart and mind to things we can't see. That's why Habakkuk can finish as he does. Understand what he says. He recognizes now that the suffering is not going to go away from his life. It's not going to change. But he has a choice to make. And notice what he says. Even though, verse 17, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. In a way, you've got to get back to Habakkuk's world, the world in which you live, because the things he's talking about here are important. Fig trees and, and grapevines. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan, how the, the man came along and found the, the other one, the injured man on the road, and he decided to help him. It says that he helped him with two very important things. He tended his wounds with olive oil and, and, and wine. You understand, these are very, very important things in the lives of of ancient people. Fig trees have no blossoms, no grapes on the vines. The olive crop fails. The fields lie empty and barren. We're talking about their lives here. 
We're talking about their livelihoods. It's the equivalent of you and me saying, even though I lose my job, and that's what they're talking about, the, the olive crop, the, the, the grapevines. Don't you understand? This represents years of patient labor, years of work. You don't get a grove of olive trees overnight. It takes years and years and years of tending to, to bring those olive trees. And what do you do when the olive trees fail? It takes years to tend the vines, to get the grapes, to create the wine. And wine was in very many ways their life. It was their life. And what do you do when all of that is, is gone? What do you do when you labor and labor and labor and all of a sudden, for all that you've done, the fields lay empty? What do you do? Do you understand? Have you ever been this place in your life? In some places in Scripture, the olive crop is an analogy for children. Several places you'll find, you know, may your children be like olive shoots, like, like young olive trees around your table. So in many ways, the, the olive trees kind of represent the family, your, your, your children. Do you understand what Habakkuk is saying here? What if everything in my life falls apart? What if? What if I lose my job? And what if I don't necessarily walk into another one very quickly? What if I lose my ability to, to provide for myself and for my family? What if all that I've worked for for years and years and years suddenly fails? What do I do then? What if my children take a wrong turn? What if for all that I've tried to do in the life of my son, the life of my daughter, what if after all I have done, they choose a horrible path? What then? What if my children don't turn out? What if they don't turn out to love the Lord? What if my children go wrong? This is what Habakkuk is saying. What if? What if I labor and labor and labor? What if I teach and teach? What if uh, all that I've poured my life into, suddenly nothing comes from it? It's all a waste. It's all a wash. What then? Habakkuk says an amazing thing. He says, even then, I will rejoice in the Lord. Even though the olive crop fails, even though the grape vines fail, yet I will, I will rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't say, I'll rejoice in the Lord because the olive crop fails. That's ridiculous. But even though the olive crop fails, even though my children are on the wrong path, even though I do not know where I will find the money to pay my bills this month. Even though, even though I make these horrible, horrible trips to the cemetery week after week after week to remember, even though, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You see, the righteous live by faith not by their circumstances. Habakkuk says, no matter what I see, and I don't understand my circumstances, and I can't explain them, and I don't have answers to all of my questions, and I certainly don't understand the suffering, even though I will still rejoice in the Lord. I will still love Him. I will still serve Him. I will continue to anchor my heart in the faith that there is a God who loves me and stays beside me. I will rejoice in Him. I love the last verse, verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He is my strength. I don't know if you've ever been in, in a place of worry and, and anxiety. I know I have. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where problems just pile up and pile up and, and pile up. But it is exhausting. It is exhausting to live your life worried. It is exhausting to live your life grieving. It is exhausting to wake up every morning with tears and go to bed with tears. It's exhausting. 
It's exhausting to live in a marriage that, that doesn't seem to be working. It's exhausting to watch your children defy you. It's exhausting to work and work and work and, and see nothing coming from it. It's exhausting. But Habakkuk says, I, I've learned something. I've learned that the sovereign Lord is my strength. He is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. I, I like that picture. He, of course, grew up in a culture that, that had deer, that, that would see those deer with those tiny little, those very delicate feet, but those feet that could take them to the very top of the mountain, the very top of the rocks. And he says, that's what God does for me. He makes me able. He gives me the kind of feet that somehow let me climb, that somehow let me go high. He gives me the kind of life, the kind of heart that somehow, no matter if the bottom falls out of everything, somehow I rise. No matter what happens, no matter what my circumstances are, somehow I find strength. And somehow, no matter how low I feel like I have gone, somehow God's strength is always able to lift me up. You'll never be in a place so low that God's strength can't raise you up. Pastor had a kid grow up in his church. Love this kid. He's one of those kids that he baptized. He, he watched him grow through high school, watched him start college. But, but, but in college, this kid got a very, very horrible strain of leukemia and got very sick very quickly. Pastor got the call that the young man was dying. Honestly, it's a devastating kind of thing for the pastor. He, he loved this kid. And always when you have to minister in a situation like that in the congregation with someone that everybody knows and everybody prays for, it's, it's, it's a devastating thing for the pastor. And you can't understand the drive to the hospital that day to visit this young man. When he got to the room, this young man who had been so strong, so strapping, was just a skeleton in the bed, wasted so quickly, had a pillow between his legs. He was so bony, he was laying on his side, too weak to even turn around and see the pastor. The boy's mother was in the corner of the room crying, and you can understand why. The pastor came, and because the boy couldn't raise his head, he got down, and, and he looked him in the face, started talking to him. The boy could hardly speak. Finally, the boy said, Pastor, you know what I've learned? Pastor said, no, tell me what you've learned. He said, I've learned that life is not like watching a DVD. You can't fast forward through the horrible parts. Pastor said, you're right. You can't skip the horrible parts. The boy said, you know something else though, Pastor? I've learned that though I can't skip through the horrible parts, if I look, I will still see Jesus in every frame. And you know what, Pastor? It's enough. It's enough. You live by faith, brothers and sisters. You can't fast forward or skip through the painful parts of your life. You'll have questions that you'll never get answers to. But I promise you, if you take your questions to the one who has the answers, you'll find a kind of strength. It's, it's the strength that comes from faith. If even in the midst of your pain, if you will learn to look, 
you will see Jesus in every loving moment of your life. You see, faith gives you those kind of eyes to see him in every circumstance of your life. Pray with me. God, many of us in this house today know the taste of tears. God, many of us in this house today have questions that we will never get answers to. But God, I pray that we will learn to bring these questions faithfully to you and lay them at your feet. God, in the places where you can give us wisdom, the questions, Lord, that have answers, give us that kind of wisdom, Lord. But when we must live with questions, Lord, that torment us, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be our strength. Help us, Lord, to live by faith. Help us, Lord, to have eyes to see you and what you're doing in every single moment of our lives. God, you told us that we would suffer. We know that sometimes we we choose the path of suffering or bring it on our own selves. But God, many, many times we don't understand why. In those moments, Lord, though we do not have answers, let us have faith. Faith, Lord, in all the things we cannot see. Faith that brings us strength and peace when everything around us seems ruined. Oh, Lord Jesus, today, we come to you today and ask you to strengthen our faith. Strengthen our faith, Lord, for this journey of suffering, this journey of trouble that is ours to walk. Lord, though we face trials, help us never, Lord, to turn from following after you. Oh, God, today, strengthen our faith that we may walk wherever life leads us, that we might always, Lord, be able to rejoice in you. We pray these things in your faithful name. Amen.